Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about Mayor de Blasio defends rioters, but not churches. Dr. Everett Piper joins me today, and this is a coup, not a protest. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And welcome again to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Well, America continues to be under siege, rioters around the country engaging in all sorts of violence, property destruction, theft, actual death of some innocent Americans involved in these protests. I'm trying today to remember not to call the looters protesters. Protesters are people who gather peacefully, usually with the permission of the local government, wave signs, maybe have chants, have speeches, and they lay out their demands. They say, we are here. I can tell you in Texas, we've been having protests trying to insist that the state reopen fully, not be partially reopened. People have had protests against contact tracing. Protesters are law-abiding people who stand there with signs and wave. What's happening around this country, especially in New York City, but all over this country, including where I live in Dallas, probably where most of you live, is simply lawless looters, lawless criminal conduct. It cannot be excused as part of the protests with respect to the very tragic and unnecessary death of George Floyd. But I want to play in this first five today, I sent Matt the Wonderful a clip. This is a clip of the mayor of New York City, de Blasio, explaining why in his worldview it's okay for them to insist on letting the unbelievable mayhem continue, letting the looters loot, but continue keeping churches shut down. Here is Mayor de Blasio. This is the other piece of the equation. When you see a nation, an entire nation, simultaneously grappling with an extraordinary crisis seated in 400 years of American racism, I'm sorry, that is not the same question as the understandably aggrieved store owner or the devout religious person who wants to go back to services. Folks, we're going to play later in this show. There was a clip, or maybe for tomorrow's show, a clip by the governor of New York responding to that. But I wanted to play that clip in the first five today to say this. We have a lot of issues to face in this country with respect to unlawful, grotesque police brutality. We have a lot of issues to face in this country as many innocent Americans who, who are really just protesting, who are waving signs. We had a peaceful protest here in Texas, in Frisco, Texas. The mayor, the Republican mayor, he doesn't, he's not partisan, but he's Republican mayor, participated in a very peaceful protest in the streets of Frisco with a permit ahead of time, waving signs, essentially calling for racial justice and the end of police brutality. That's what a protest is. What Mayor de Blasio is permitting to occur in New York City is simply lawless looting and destruction of property and theft, and he is justifying it. He is legitimizing it. We're going to, at the end of the show today, talk more deeply about the forces behind these protests. 
It isn't really just as the left would like to have you think, as de Blasio would like to have you think, just simply deeply aggrieved Americans who are finally standing up. There are very sinister forces behind the protests we're all watching. We talked about that yesterday with John Guandolo on the show. We'll talk about it more today. But the particular point in wrapping up today's first five is this. Mayor de Blasio just told America, told religious America, that the idea that people who want to return to normal worship services, that is a, he feels it, he views it as his right to limit them because of all the COVID-19 restrictions, to keep those in place as long as he wants them in place, to let people know when they're allowed to return to their houses of worship. And at the same time, with all these restrictions that are in place there that involve mask wearing and social distancing, you're looking at thousands and thousands of criminals in the streets of New York City. Nobody's socially distancing, nobody's wearing masks, and nobody on the left seems to care. So he's really telling you that all of these coronavirus, masking, social distancing, businesses can't open, churches can't function normally, all of those restrictions really weren't vital. They weren't essential because as soon as the protests came along and these folks wanted to engage in rioting and looting and theft and mayhem, that was okay with him. He's telling you there really was no basis to continue the shutdown in New York with respect to the coronavirus. And that, my friends, is today's first five. We ta I mentioned at the start of the show, we have a guest joining us. He's, he's very uh, joined us numerous times before, Dr. Everett Piper. He is the author of the book. And I, you know, I usually just say the first part of the title of the book, but I want it. It's a great title. Not a Daycare, The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth. It's a fabulous title and really a title that, that has great relevance, not just in the issues he talked about in his book, but in today's conversation around America as we watch the, the just destruction in front of us. So Dr. Everett Piper, former president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University, columnist for the Washington Times, is going to join us by phone. Hello, Dr. Piper. Hey, Debbie. How are you doing? I'm well, and I'm glad to see you. So glad you could join me today. So uh, this is not our big topic, but I actually realized as I was thinking about this interview today driving here, are you having protests in Oklahoma? I don't know. I actually don't know if I read any about Oklahoma. Yeah, Tulsa has suffered those, and Oklahoma City has likewise. In fact, I've got friends that own businesses down in Jinx, which is a suburb of Tulsa, where they've actually started boarding up their uh, store windows to uh, hopefully uh, stave off some of the, the damage from the protests. Well, I hope they were able to. I'll be talking about later in the show the uh, most unfortunate property damage, destruction of businesses all over New York City, all over really, uh, all over our country, and the um, and just the amazing inability, unwillingness of our law enforcement to stand up and to restore order. But I really want to talk to you about today. So there was an amazing Supreme Court decision. I'm sure you followed it. It related to the order by the California governor Newsom. He is still all about the coronavirus and the shutdown and the limitations and how many people can be inside a church at the same time. So one particular church in California, a small church, um, I didn't actually recognize the name of it, but that small church brought a lawsuit, ended up in front of the Supreme Court. The question was whether Newsom's order related to coronavirus uh, was a violation of the First Amendment, of the uh, freedom of religion. And in a really, it wasn't a, an issued decision by the court in terms of hearing arguments and issuing a decision. 
it was a refusal of the court to take the case and therefore allowing the lower lowercase ruling to stand, which essentially said, um, yes, the governor has the right to limit religious services in, in person. And in particular, shocked to a lot of people, of course, Chief Justice John Roberts taking the side of the usual liberal wing of the court and not not the reliable concern we thought it might be so i'd love i'm sure you studied that case and thought about so what was your reaction to that case well you know it's a first amendment issue and i i know i'm being presumptuous right now because i'm talking to a lawyer so forgive me for that so i'm going to add my layman's perspective to the first amendment and you can tell me where i'm where i'm wrong it's my understanding that madison wrote the first amendment and it said government does not have the authority to establish religion or to prohibit the free exercise thereof. That's my understanding of the First Amendment, or at least the religious, the religious freedom aspect of it. Now, Jefferson comes forward, I believe, 11 years after Madison writes the First Amendment, and he's got a bunch of nervous Baptists in Danbury, Connecticut, who are worried that the government is going to intrude on their denominational polity and practice. And Jefferson says, no, 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 the government can't do that, because we have no authority to establish or to prohibit the free exercise of your faith, your religion. And he then says there's a wall separating the church from the state that will stop the state from doing that. My understanding, Debbie, is this, that the wall is there. Jefferson said there's a wall. It's not in the Constitution. It's not in the Bill of Rights. But he did say there's a wall separating the state from the church. That wall is a fortress. It's to keep the church, excuse me, it's to keep the state out. It's not a prison to keep the church in. In other words, there's a door in the wall, and the church can come and go through that door in the fortress wall. It can come and go into culture and do its good work, be salt and light, and do what it's supposed to do in practicing its faith, practicing what it preaches. And then it can leave culture and leave society, go back through the door into the church, and it can shut the dumb thing and lock it from the inside and keep the government out of its business. That door is called the First Amendment. The government cannot establish, nor can it prohibit, the free expression and practice and exercise of our faith. And here's the other thing. Well, some leftists out there will say, well, we're not prohibiting your freedom of worship. It doesn't say freedom of worship. It says freedom of religion, and re religion is different than worship. Worship could be construed as a private thing that you just do in the privacy of your heart or in the privacy of the four walls of the church. Religion is a comprehensive, holistic thing where you actually practice what you preach. It's belief and behavior. It's faith and reason. It's practicing those things you claim to hold dear. It's engaging culture, not just being a private individual. I can't imagine how de Blasio or the governor of Chicago or the governor of California or even the stupid little mayor in Venita, Oklahoma, thinks it's their right to tell anybody in the church what they can or cannot do. And you know what? It's time for people in the church to start protesting, not violently, but they should start protesting by the thousands and see if these guys have the spine to actually throw them in jail. Wow, I think you probably did go to law school. You're just not admitting it. But actually, yes, there is a First Amendment. Very clear, this is a free exercise clause case. And that was the whole argument of these churches is that 
Constitution, the, the very First Amendment says, we have the right to free exercise of religion. And I'll tell you, it's even a little worse. It's, I love what you said. I, I agree, actually, wholeheartedly with the idea that religious Americans should start going or feeling free to going to go to church if you want to go to church and you live in a place where there are restrictions that say well you have to be six feet apart or you only can have 25 percent of the uh capacity of your church in uh the seating capacity uh open now you have to wait until you're told 50 percent and 75 percent i think it is time for civil disobedience in this way and i think also pastors should be more vocal about it and so i i, I love all that you said and it is a um it's in, I, I think it's a window both on de Blasio's thinking and really on uh, Justice John Roberts' thinking. It is a failure to elevate the prime, primary importance of freedom of religion as part of what our country was founded on. But I'll tell you something else about this decision. So Justice Roberts, who's, you know, the kind of, um, what's a good term? He, he's just kind of perpetually unreliable or unpredictable. He's kind of like the John McCain of the Supreme Court. You don't have to answer that. But I will say, I, I do think what's especially interesting is in this case, the actual um, case, the, the states involved in this case, both states involved in this case had asked the justices to stay their hands because the cases were essentially moot. Meaning all the court really had to say was, you know, it appears these cases are now moot. But by jumping in and discussing the merits of the case, they essentially ignored what the states were saying. And I want to tell you what Kavanaugh, who wrote the minority, who wrote the, uh, it's not really a minority opinion, but wrote the explanation of why the judges were dissenting from the decision to refuse to take the case. Kavanaugh pointed out, plain out, Newsom's order creates, treats houses of worship less favorably than secular businesses, such as factories, offices, supermarkets, restaurants, shopping malls, and even marijuana dispensaries. He's getting at the point, Newsom's order, the California government's order, is even more restrictive of churches than it was of other businesses. That seems like an argument alone for the conservatives to say, wait a minute, we really got a problem here. We're gonna take this case and look closely. I, I don't even know if you knew that aspect of the case, um, Dr. Piper, but uh, do you have a reaction to that? Isn't that just mind-blowing? Yes, I, yeah, I, I was aware of that, and it, it baffles my mind how Justice Roberts could disagree with Kavanaugh in that particular opinion. Um, and, and added to that, not only is the church being treated with greater uh, restrictions, being imposed upon with greater restrictions than uh, Walmart or McDonald's or Chick-fil-A or, like uh, Kavanaugh said, the marijuana dispensary, uh, the church doesn't have the same freedoms to go about its business as the local marijuana shop does. That's asinine. That's crazy. But now we know that we can get together by the thousands in the streets of New York if we are exercising our right of assembly as Antifa or Black Lives Matter, but you can't get together by tens or even by 15 or even by 20 if you're going to go about exercising your religious freedom in the church. So you can go loot, and I, I like your distinction between protesters and looters, you can go loot by the thousands, and that's, that's your constitutional right, but you can't go pray by, you know, maybe the tens or the dozens. What sense does this make? The inconsistency and the bias against the church is right. And it is time for civil disobedience, and it'll only be corrected when the church has the spine to step forward and say, we're going to church. Arrest us if you want. 
Yeah, I actually don't think even Democrat governors, mayors in this in this country want that image on national television. I mean, there have been a few really unsavory images of mayors driving into a parking lot, even when the people in churches were in their cars, attending church in their cars, and the local officials going, driving through and writing down phone numbers, and, I mean, excuse me, writing down license plates so they can actually find people for going to church. But the image of actually dragging people out, I, I do think the coronavirus, COVID-19 shutdowns have reached the point where civil disobedience is happening around the country, especially in places where they're still most restrictive. One more element of this case, I, I think it's just really amazing. I mean, I, I mentioned, I didn't mean to sound un, um, too harsh about Justice John Roberts. I think he I'll take him at face value. He's trying to do what he understands the law to require him to do. He did bail out entirely on the effort to try to remove the burden of Obamacare from America. And both twice he sided with the people who were trying to keep Obamacare in place. And even in some of his statements, his opinions kind of sounded like, well, you know, it'd be a really bad thing in America if, you know, we took this away. Kind of, It was almost like a political assessment versus his job as a judge to apply the law to the facts and the Constitution to the facts. But in this case, to be clear, the Justice Department, the other reason this is so odd on his part, the Justice Department filed a statement of interest. It's a statement you can file with a court supporting a lawsuit by Michigan businesses that claim that their Democrat governor, Gretchen Whitmer, her restrictions are arbitrary and irrational. And announcing the, the action, the Civil Rights Division Chief Eric Dryban proclaimed the Constitution permits appropriate state and local government restrictions to protect the health and safety of Americans, but it does not permit arbitrary limits that limit the right of all people in our country to be treated equally and fairly by the government. People are arguing that Robert's unwillingness to just stay quiet in this case, but to actually wade in is essentially cutting against this anti-discrimination theory. So in rejecting religious liberty, Roberts countered that it is not a matter of unlawful discrimination if different things are regulated in, I turn the page, sorry, in different ways. That is true. That's a mind-blowing statement by him. Roberts counters, it is not a matter of unlawful discrimination if different things are regulated in different ways. Well, it, it almost makes you wonder if he's even turned on the news. Have you read the <laughs> newspaper? I mean, my land, how can you claim that the church is not being regulated in a different way than all these other entities that Kavanaugh cited? The liquor store, the, the marijuana dispenser, uh, McDonald's, big box stores like Lowe's and, and Walmart. All of these have, gr have enjoyed greater freedoms to go about their daily business than the church. So how in the world can Roberts claim that there's no discrimination against the church when it's obvious that the church has greater restrictions upon it than the McDonald's drive through window? I mean, my land, I can't go to a drive-in service and read my Bible at my local church, but I can go through the drive-in window at McDonald's and get a burger? What sense does this make? Why is one legal and the other isn't when the church is protected by the First Amendment? Last I knew, McDonald's wasn't. <laughs> There's no, right, there are no hamburgers in the First Amendment. But you know, it does lead to a larger, larger topic, which you and I have talked about before. But in this election season, we're coming up, um, I feel like I say that well before elections happen. We're only in June and elections are in November, but we're in an election season. We have a very hotly contested, you know, very, very high profile presidential primary on going to the left. And we have the, you know, Biden seeming to think he can get the nomination and beat President Trump. We have a lot of tension. 
And many people talk more and more, and you had an article, this was actually now May 2nd, so it's over um, six weeks, no, over four weeks ago. It was called Freedom Hangs in the Balance During This Election Season. And I thought it was so timely, even as of today, and what we're seeing with Justice Roberts. So do you see more ways in which freedom hangs in the balance during this election season today than you wrote when you wrote this article in May? Oh, I really do. I, I mean, we see these, this anarchy. We see the rise of Antifa. We see the looting. We see the lawlessness in our streets. We see the Democrats doing nothing about it. In fact, condemning those as being racist and bigots who want to do something about it. You see, Black Lives Matter. You know, Debbie, one of the things I want to point out here in terms of the loss of freedom is how ideas have consequences. And when we embrace these given ideas that are grounded in socialism and communism and Marxism, those are antithetical to freedom. Black Lives Matter. We've got lots of pastors saying, well, we need to stand with Black Lives Matter. We've got lots of evangelical leaders saying we need to stand with Black Lives Matter. Go read their website. Click on what we believe on the Black Lives Matter website. And it says this. It says we believe in the queering of the traditional nuclear, nuclear family. We believe in the dismantling of patriarchal practices. This is the kind of stuff that they say on Black Lives Matter website. This is what they believe. So why in the world is the church, anyone, anyone who believes in the dignity of the human being, in the nuclear family, in traditional definitions of what it means to be a free American, anyone that believes in our constitutional republic versus a Marxist culture, why in the world would we remain silent when BLM is waving their flag, championing, quote-unquote, the queering of the nuclear family and the dismantling of patriarchy. How can you claim to be for blacks and black families when you're saying and you're admitting that you believe the patriarchy of the family is negative? You're diminishing the importance of black fatherhood, which we know statistically is leading to crime, dysfunction, disease, malnutrition, and child uh, dysfunction. And yet we're marching with this people, these people as if they have something positive to say. I'm so glad you raised that, Dr. Piper. I'd actually forgotten. I, the Black Lives Matter website is a great place to go. Forget about listening to pundits or people you think are too opinionated one way or the other. Read what they say about themselves, because what they say, Black Lives Matter website itself says, is antithetical to the very culture, fabric, founding identity of America. I'd forgotten about that. I'm so glad you mentioned that. That's a, and I, so I urge our listeners to do that. Dr. Piper, you also had a column, your Washington Times column. And again, I always tell our listeners, the links I'm talking about today are up at our website, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage, under shows, drop down, list of links. You can read these articles yourself. But the article that I want to mention that you put out was called, uh, Dr. Piper, No Politician Has the Right to Dictate, Contradict, or Contravene Religious Beliefs. I'd kind of forgotten until I looked at it again this morning, the litany of examples that already exist. I, I played my first segment today, the mayor of New York City, Bill de Blasio, saying it's very different. You can let looters rob and destroy property and steal, but people can't go to church. But he actually had, he singled out churches and synagogues threatening to seize their property and shut them down permanently if they did not, if they dared to defy his orders related to coronavirus. There's a, that's, yeah. not, that's an antagonism against religion. And he said that. He used the word, 
seize the property, shut you down permanently. Permanently, he said that. And then you have uh, Governor, or excuse me, Mayor Lightfoot of Chicago, who declared a Romanian church a public nuisance. A public nuisance. And she threatened to fine them, to jail them, and to shut them down. Now, this is a group of Christians who have experienced communist oppression. They're from Romania. They know what it's like not to have religious freedom. And Governor, or excuse me, Mayor Lightfoot is saying, I will fine you, I will jail you, and I will shut you down. And then she officially declared them a public nuisance. And then, as you said, we've got uh, mayors in Kentucky who are going through the parking lots a police instructing the police to go through the parking lots of local churches and write down license plate numbers so that we are being tracked if we dare go to church. And then the, the poster child for me is in Venita, Oklahoma, right up the road from me, a small little town in the reddest of red states where Mayor Chuck Hoskins actually issued an edict, a municipal order, an executive order, where he says you can't get in your truck and go fishing. You can't drive to the local lake and go fishing alone. You can't get in your truck and go hunting alone. And how dare you think of going to church? If you go to church, you will be fined up to $500 and up to 30 days in jail in Venita, Oklahoma. Again, I say to those people that are listening, you just need to get up and go to church and tell them, go ahead, arrest me. If we did that by the thousands, I think we'd win. You know, I also think, uh, that, I, yes, I agree with all of that. This idea about, I use the expression on this show, freedom is on the ballot in November of 2020. I actually think it's just a little bit of a, almost a positive thing, because really the veil being pulled back or people's eyes being opened, you see the antagonism of leftism toward religion and toward freedom. The idea that this uh, Chuck Hoskins, and other mayors and members of city council and governors around this country have seized on the almost the fluke or circumstance of having the coronavirus and, and having it be a problem, seized on it to really kind of test the question, do Americans still believe they have freedom? Can we chip away at that? Can we work away at them? Can we massage them out of thinking they have freedoms as our constitution says, and that really they only have the freedom that we tell them that they have? And I, I love the idea. I'm, I'm actually a very law-abiding person. I'm in favor of law. I love law and order. But I, I think that the civil disobedience we're, both talk, we're talking about here is really helpful in waking people up and in restoring the concept of law and order as it's supposed to be in our country. Your thoughts? Well, again, I'm going to act like my lawyer. You are. I'm not. So you can just explain it away after I'm off your show. But my understanding is I am obeying the law when I go to church because the laws in the United States are endowed to us the rights that we have in the United States. They're endowed to us by God. They're not given by, to us by government. So I'm obeying the law. I am honoring the rights that are endowed to us by our Creator. Those self-evident truths, those unalienable rights are not given to me by the local governor, by the mayor, or by the President of the United States, or anybody else for that matter. God gave them to me, and I'm going to exercise them. So I am obeying the law. It's the local mayor who isn't. So I'm going to church. I want to add an amen on that. <laughs> so, you know, first of all, Dr. Piper, I'm so glad you're available to join us. It's just always a very spirited conversation when I have you. And I almost always, when you're on the show, I get emails afterwards. I love when you have that guy, Dr. Piper, on. So 
I'm so glad you've been able to join us today. I urge everyone to read his column in Washington Times, his columns in Washington Times. And also he's got a personal website, Dr. Everett Piper. I'm sorry, is it .org, .com? .com. It's Dr. Everett Piper, one word, D-R-E-V-E-R-E-T-T-P-I-P-E-R.com. And you can follow my new podcast, which is called The Rebellion. And I play off of Peter Kreef's quote, in times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. I love that. Okay, you are gonna have. So, when does that podcast start? When do you begin start doing it? I started. I started two weeks ago. I've got seventeen episodes already posted. It's a show. It's a half-hour show. It's being carried on a local radio station. It's called The Rebellion with Dr. Everett Piper. I am thrilled to hear that. Not you know you're doing that. It's just great. Are you still going to write for Washington Times too? Yeah, the Washington Times is, yeah, I'm writing for them, and they're also going to pick up that podcast, and they're going to promote it there. So that'll be coming shortly. That's a great thing. Well, you are just a treasure. Honest to goodness, I'm so grateful for all you do. I first learned about you when you were president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University and wrote that great column, I think, in your student newspaper, This Is Not a Daycare, and it became a book, and it really became a a very invigorating and inspiring and uplifting, uh, you became a presence like that in the American political conversation, speaking up for religious liberty, putting issues. I love the historical context you can often bring to issues. I'm talking ancient historical context, American historical context. You really are an advocate for religious freedom, and I appreciate that so much. So, Dr. Piper, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much. Take care. Blessings. Thank you. Okay, folks, this is one... Uh, just great, great American patriot and thinker and um, and writer. Didn't know he had a podcast, so uh, I will watch that and encourage you to check that out also. When I'm calling this last part of the show, I'm just calling it's a coup, not a protest. And I want to play off of the show yesterday. If you didn't listen to the show yesterday, I had a, a friend of mine, John Guandolo, on. He is the founder of Understanding the Threat. He was essentially... Stating, stating this premise, and I'm, we're going to build on that the rest of the show with clips and stories that came out in the news in the last 24, 48 hours. But he was making the point in the show yesterday that everyone in America paying attention saw what happened in Minneapolis. They saw the police conduct toward George Floyd. Everyone is horrified by it. You know, and a prosecution started. Uh, within a couple of days now, by the way, all the officers have been charged. The one, the most officer who did the worst things, the charges against him have been upgraded. So the, the legal system is going after it. But John Guandola was making the point that communism, the actual communist movement, came to America almost 100 years ago. Communism, the idea of communism, came to this country and... There were, at the time of, of the, the coming of the communism to America, the goal was clear and stated over and over, which was the idea that America could not be overtaken militarily by any communist power in the world, but it could be ultimately destroyed ideologically, destroyed by the ideas of communism, which were anti-American, anti-freedom, anti-family, anti-religion, anti-rule uh, of law, anti-freedoms guaranteed to us. It was just the utter antithesis of the founding of America, the ideas of America that are, that are protected and laid out in the Declaration of Independence, supposedly protected in the Constitution. Those very ideas are antithetical to communism. So communism, communists have been at work in this country 100 years. 
They worked on putting left-wing professors into academia all over this country. So you have young people today, you, we, we talk about in the show many times, they, when people examine colleges, universities around this country, you find the history department, the social sciences department, the economics department overwhelmingly filled with communists, Marxists, socialists. So kids going to college, they think they're going for higher learning. Their parents write checks to send the kids to college for them to be educated. And they leave college hating America, hating the founding ideas of America, hating freedom, hating religion, hating Christianity, hating the traditional family unit, hating everything about America. So the communist movement has been at work for decades and decades and decades, not just in academia, but through culture, through what we see in movies and television, the constant churning and contorting of the American political psyche of how Americans think about issues, how we see issues. So we have that movement happening. We had Islamists in this country who are also working to destroy the very foundational ideas of America, the very foundational ideas that are rooted in Judeo-Christian values, that are rooted in the values that the founders wrote about and spoke about and included in their writings and the Federalist Papers and all the explanations for what they were doing creating our country. Islamists are the people dedicated to the overthrowing of Christianity, Western civilization, America, to ultimately instill Islam as the only religion. This is what Islamists have as their mission. Islamists have locked arms with the communists. This is all what John Gondola, he's, he's laid out in the show before, many people write about it, it's not news. But they have locked arms ideologically and are working very, very hard to undermine everything good and great about America. And not just to undermine it by arguing in our faces confrontationally, but to slowly twist and contort the way we see issues. So we're slowly submitting to communist ideals, slowly submitting to Islamist ideas without even realizing we're doing it. We think we're following the common culture, we're expanding our horizons, we understand new things. And so we have, in addition to all of that, we have communists, Marxists, socialists in high positions across the federal agencies in our country, not just high levels in academia and shaping and molding the thought of the next generation of intellectual leaders in this country, but you have these same elements, Islamists, communists, Marxists, socialists in high positions in government working to push their ideas. You have the Democrat Party, if you read their platform today, it's kissing cousin platform with socialism. The socialist and communist parties in this country basically said decades ago, we don't have to bother running candidates anymore because we've succeeded in pushing our ideas into the Democrat Party. So today's Democrat Party, not the party that your grandfather thought he was voting for, a party that was going to bring, you know, fairness for the little guy or, you know, keep ta you know, tax the rich a little more to, to grow benefits for low income people. That's not what the, the Democrat Party is for today. The Democrat Party today is pushing the ideologies of socialism, Marxism and communism under the guise of building a fairer country, under the guise of helping repressed people, under the and trying to do that by continuing to incite people to see themselves as victims, see themselves as victims of America, of American ideals, of American culture, and that they are trying, these Islamist communists, they call it the red-green axis, whatever you want to call it, they've locked arms ultimately to undermine the very idea of America. 
and we're going to get to what was happening in this country. These, these protests right now, we're all watching, but these protests, I'm sorry, I want to use the correct word. The peaceful protesters waving signs saying, you know, end police brutality, justice for George Floyd, no violence, not looting, good for them. They're right. George Floyd was treated horribly and they should be prosecuting those officers and they should be looking at training of officers, all kinds of changes. But those people who are protesting what happened to George Floyd are an entirely gr different group. In fact, a tiny subset group as compared with the massive American left, the radical left in this country, the anti-American left in this country, funded by George Soros, funded by radical leftists, and TIFA, a group is it could not be more profoundly, specifically dedicated to the destruction of America. The people out looting and protesting and robbing and smashing windows and killing people, that is the radical left, and they are in a war against America. It's important to understand what they are doing. It is a coup. It is an attempt to remove not just President Trump, not just particular elected leaders. It is to undermine the very fabric and identity of America. And I want to start by talking about where we are in trying to fight this right now, because we have many people are just, uh, they, they're looking on in fear, they're watching what's happening, and they're saying, you know, they, they, they assume because of these radical looters and, and how angry they are and their vitriol and destruction, they assume, wow, things must be really bad in this country. I just didn't know. I, I, I thought things were pretty good, but I guess things were really bad after all. So I'm going to run through a bunch of facts and play a couple clips for you. Number one, it really, I thought, was a very big deal. Attorney General Barr... Attorney General Barr, our current DOJ, uh, Attorney General Barr, called out George Soros by name for subverting, for subverting our legal system and causing an increase in violent crime and more victims through his targeting of district attorney races. This was something he said in December, but I want to make clear, as uh, December of 2019, so here we are, we're seeing the fruits of that effort right now. We're seeing the fruits of that effort of George Soros. He's not, you know, just sending money to hundreds of subversive groups in America. He is working to get people to run for and win races to serve as a district attorney in races all over this country. People who are committed to his leftist, anti-American, hate America, bring down America agenda. And for Attorney General Barr to call him out, was really important because very rarely does this happen. You don't usually have people in the high position calling out someone like him, but he's doing it. Barr is doing it then, and I believe he'll continue talking about it because what that is just one of the pieces along the path, one of the pieces along the way that the left in this country, the Soros-funded, the radical, anti-American, hate America, socialist, Marxist, communist, Islamist left, is it at war against America? This is one of their tactics. Get district attorneys in place who won't follow the law. So we had in Dallas last night, we had protesters who were uh, detained long after the curfew. We have a curfew here because of the violence. Long after the curfew, they're still out. And they were detained by the police. But one reporter made the point that our DA, a Democrat, John Crusoe, had said, had made very clear he wasn't going to process, he wasn't going to prosecute, he's not going to do anything about these protests, so enabling the protests. 
Number two, I want to make the point that there is a, an undercurrent of ugly submission that is part of what the left is doing. And I want Matt the Wonderful. I sent him numerous clips uh, last minute, so I'm hoping he has them. But this is a clip that was uh, it, from the Daily Caller. And this was a protest. This is one of these looter slash protests in the state of Maryland. And the Daily Caller videoed what Black Lives Matter was doing at this protest in Maryland. If you have that ready, I want to play that clip, Matt. Anti-blackness or violence. I will use my voice in the most uplifting way possible. I will use my voice in the most uplifting way possible. And do everything in my power to educate my community. I will love my black neighbors the same as my white ones. Okay, do you see what that's happening there? You have a you have hundreds of Americans asked to get on their knees and repeat after me. So you have a Black Lives Matter speaker up there in the front, vilifying America. You know the under the underlying assumption. Everything that's being said is. You're being told America is a terrible place. It's a racist place. Asking these people to validate everything Black Lives Matter says about them. Asking these people to submit to the Black Lives Matter agenda, which is not, if you think it is, to make life fairer for black Americans, you completely miss the point of Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter, a very Soros-funded, subversive group intending, along with other Soros-funded, subversive groups, to take down and destroy America. That happened in America. A group of people on their knees pledging their allegiance to the Black Lives Matter agenda. Next element I want to mention that's going on in this, and I'm telling you about this entire thing, folks, it is a, we better be very, very alert to what's happening because this is a coup, not a protest. There are protesters, as I say, I said in the beginning of the show, there are protesters who are actually wanting to wave signs and bring change. But what you're watching in that video, what you're watching in New York City, which we're going to play in a moment, these things are unbelievable. But the next thing I want to tell you was, you have the media complicit in this destruction of America. You probably saw the video when President Trump was at the White House and the church across the street from the White House, St. John's Episcopal Church, I've actually been there. I used to live in Washington, D.C. I went to law school in Washington, D.C. I've been to, that, I've been to a wedding in that church. In any case, that church was torched burned by looters, not completely destroyed, but torched by looters. So President Trump, in a show of standing up for churches, for law and order, against the looters and destroyers of property, went across the street from the White House, walked across the street to stand in front of that church, hold a Bible, just to basically say, we stand with Christian America. We stand with churches. We stand against arsonists and looters and people who destroy property. So the big story, because it was a very powerful image, it wasn't just President Trump, Attorney General Barr was there, uh, Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, numerous other people were there. It was a statement of solidarity with the American people. So the media had to do something. So they turned to telling the story that supposedly when the park police had to clear the walkway so the president could safely walk from the White House at St. John's Episcopal, 
that there would not, and the protesters who were in the media accounts, calm and peaceful, and just, you know, singing love songs and chanting, uh, whatever they were doing, waving signs. They were throwing objects at the crowds. They were throwing, um, you know, bottles and, and junk at the, at, toward where the president was going to be. And so the media put out the story that the park police put out tear gas and used rubber bullets to break up a peaceful protest. Okay, no truth to that. The park police came out, the U.S. Park Police came out, the acting chief, Gregory Monaghan, came out and just said, not true. They were not peaceful. They were throwing stuff. They were making it dangerous for the president others to be out. They were asked numerous times, loudspeaker, you know, please back up, stop throwing stuff, you know, we've got to be peaceful, won't listen to them, won't listen to the park police. And it wasn't tear gas. They, they, they uh, put something out that was not tear, because tear gas really stings your eyes, I guess. I've never had it, but I believe it really stings your eyes and you make it so you can't function. So they, the media carried this story, you know, just for President Trump's, you know, stunt, which I don't think that of that as a stunt. I'm proud the president would want to stand by a church and say, yeah, we actually stand with religious America. We stand with churches. We stand against the violent looters and arsonists. But the story gets twisted by the left that forever and a day wants to find a reason to convince Americans to think Trump's out of line, to think he's doing something extreme. So the park police uh, straightened it out. They issued three warnings over a loudspeaker, uh, and then they ultimately, many of the protesters became combative. This is the park police's story. The protesters, in response to being asked to chill out and back up, they became more combative, continued to throw projectiles, attempted to grab officers' weapons, and then, and only then, the officers employed the use of smoke canisters. Not the same as tear gas, which hurts your eyes like nothing, nobody's business. And pepper balls, no tear gas was used by the U.S. Park Police officers or other assisting law office partners to clear the area at Lafayette Park. But we have to fight in this country the Marxists, the communists, the socialists, the Islamists, the, the leftist cabal, the Soros-funded dozens of subversive organizations, Antifa, and we have to fight the media because they cannot bring themselves to tell the truth. So I don't have a lot of time left today, only a very short amount of time, but I do want to mention understanding it's so important for us to be able to get through this time, through this era, where we're going to have more, seemingly more protests, ongoing protests, due to the death of George Floyd at the hands of a Minnesota police officer. And we'll get into more details on that story probably next week. But we're going to have ongoing violence. It's important that you understand what the facts are, what the truth is. The people committing looting, destruction of property are not trying to help black America. They are not even slightly trying to help black America. They are doing everything they can to keep the American people stirred up, to keep up the American people. Uh, they're doing everything the opposite of what they would be doing if they wanted to help black America. If they wanted to help black America, they would not be, they would not be burning down their businesses. So there is a federal law called the, Insurrec the Insurrection Act that is being talked about as whether or not President Trump has the authority to send in the military under the Insurrection Act. This is different from a completely different federal law than another federal law 
posse comitatus, which is basically the idea that says the federal government cannot use the, the U.S. military in a battle against American citizens on American soil. But the Insurrection Act does permit the president to use the military if what is occurring is an actual insurrection. I can't get into the details because I'm out of time. I'm going to come back to this next week, but I really want to, there are very, very serious, prominent lawyers talking about the idea that there is a, um, th there's a justification. There's a need to recognize we may be close to having to use the Insurrection Act. I don't want to be that. I don't want America to have to see this, have this Insurrection Act happen. Um, I, I don't want what's clearly going to become, it, you know, is obviously people worry it escalates violence and, and makes things worse. And maybe that's an argument against doing it. But there really is a need to recognize we're not talking about peaceful protesters who simply love, uh, they're concerned about the treatment of George Floyd. These are people who are trying to use the George Floyd incident, exploiting the incident to facilitate their long-term mission they've had for decades to bring down America, to change America into a radical leftist haven of Marxism and socialism where their rules are in play and America's freedom is gone. There was a poll, very quickly to tell you, a majority of Americans, even a majority of Democrats polled, said the government should use the military and the National Guard to quell these unlawful riots. I want to show you one last quick thing. There was a picture I sent to Matt the Wonderful. This is a picture of a police officer. He's actually re was retired. Uh, his name is David Dorn. He was a former um, police captain in St. Louis. And I'll just show you his picture. This is a guy who was murdered murdered in St. Louis by the uh, alleged peaceful protesters, by the mobsters, thugs, looters, violent arsonists. This guy went to a store that was owned by a friend of his, and at the store he tried to stand up for his friend's store to prevent the looters from destroying the store, and his body was found inside the store at 2.30 a.m., deceased, killed by the looters. Folks, these are very serious times. I think it's vital that Americans do not just shelter their homes, stay home. I'm not saying to get out in the middle of it. I'm saying you have to be part of, of identifying who the sides are, what the battle is. It's not. The battle is not black versus white. The battle is not people who are sympathetic to George Floyd and people who don't care about George Floyd. Those are not the sides. The sides are the people who love America, who understand America is an extraordinary, just uniquely blessed nation, not perfect, always room for improvement in America, always room for making America a better, better place, but who want to hold on to the, the foundational ideas of America, the right of individuals to live in freedom, the right of individuals to worship in freedom, the right of people to own property, law and order, with, which includes a pol police forces and, and, if needed, military to insist upon it. It's all those people who want America as it's supposed to be, not ever claiming it's perfect, always recognizing we can always make it more and more perfect. And the left, the radical left, the communist, Marxist, socialist, Islamist, Soros-funded groups who are using the George Floyd incident as their next step 
to try to bring about the destruction of America. Those are the two sides, and there's only one right side, and that's the side of America. I close out my shows every day. If you listen, you know this. I close my every day by telling you again why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So at the start of today's show, we talked about de Blasio, Mayor de Blasio, defending the rioters, but not the churches. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio has been relentless and absolute about restricting the ability of churches to conduct services. He has been unusually blunt in calling out Jewish people. I mean, you could call him anti-Semitic or what he's done with the Jewish population, calling out Jewish people who have not adhered to his coronavirus rules. In the face of riots causing major destruction and loss of life in New York City, he's calling the rioters protesters and justifying the riots as deserved by America because of 400 years of racism. de Blasio's mindset will never restore law and order to New York City, which is why even a fellow Democrat, Governor Andrew Cuomo, is talking about taking over. Crisis revealed the character of leaders and Bill de Blasio is failing the test. Americans are witnessing what happens with leftists in charge. Their moral compass for right or wrong is unhinged or absent. This is a coup, it's not a protest. Riots are not protests. And these riots were never about George Floyd. They were and are pre-planned and pre-funded anarchy that used the Floyd death as a trigger. Where was the FBI as Antifa built out its anti-American terrorist organization? We'll talk about that more tomorrow. The riots are George Soros-sponsored efforts to overthrow the Constitution. Attorney General Barr finally named Soros and his election meddling with DA positions all over the country as an intended assault on American law and order. Rogue Soros-funded DAs who refuse to distinguish between a peaceful protester and a destructive rioter are sabotaging the rule of law and feeding the chaos. Elected officials who can't or won't make the distinction between protester and rioter are not up to the job. President Trump may have to use the insurrection, may have to. The Insurrection Act, Insurrection Act exists for a reason. That reason may have arrived. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you hear?